Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. A bright but brisk afternoon here in downtown Indianapolis, a high of about 9 degrees as we put a bow on the 2019 NFL Scouting Combine here at Lucas Oil Stadium where defensive backs are literally finishing up their workouts almost as we speak. The DBs rounding out a full weekend of workouts after what has been a headline-making NFL combine. Tom Coughlin, his team is expected to make headlines when the new league year opens on March 13th. We'll tell you about that. And Wade Phillips trying to get his team over that hump, just one win away from hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Ahead on this 90-minute edition of NFL Live, Antonio Brown and the Steelers have agreed to part ways. A.B. sits down with our Jeff Darling to, to explain why and Dwayne Haskins joins us fresh off his workout here in the combine. He will make his case and tell you what he brings to the next level. Speaking of making his case, Nick Bosa has the potential to be the number one overall pick in this draft. He headlines a strong class of pass rushers. And as I mentioned, the D-backs rounding out the workouts will tell you who did what and how that might translate in just a few minutes. We're glad to have you with us. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm Wendy Nix with Todd McShay, Dan Graziano, and Lewis Riddick. It has been a busy weekend. It will continue to be the case as we move through the week. Tomorrow, if you remember, the final day teams can apply the franchise tag on players. That deadline technically 4 o'clock Eastern. Bill O'Brien does not have to worry. He's a happy man. His work is done, at least in terms of Jadeveon Clowney. The Texans have tagged Clowney, and what that means going forward remains to be seen. It does give the two sides time to work out a long-term deal. They now have until July 15th to work something out, or he will play a single season under the franchise tag. Dan, what does this mean for the long-term future of Jadeveon Clowney and the Houston Texans? Well, I don't know that it means much for the long-term future because we haven't heard too much about active contracts talks with Jadavian Clowney. Go back a year, and there was some thought that they might get him extended last summer. They obviously did not. They still haven't been able to do it. There's some concern over whether they want, might want to commit long-term to him at that position. And there's also a potential fight here over the franchise tag number. Jadavian Clowney, in a 3-4 alignment, is an outside linebacker. If you tag him as a linebacker, it's about $15.4 million. If he's tagged as a defensive end, it's about $17.1 million. They, they fought this fight last year when he wanted to be tagged uh, the higher number for his fifth-year option. He lost it. it it's based on the uh, number of snaps played at each position, so they'll actually go back and look at tape, see where he lined up the most uh, before deciding that. But if it's the lower number, you know, you could have an unhappy player on a franchise tag that he doesn't feel is uh, commensurate with what he actually does. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who has 18 and a half sacks over the past two years, has started to maintain you know, a higher level of availability in terms of his durability, and a guy who really is scheme diverse between 3-4 and 4-3. It's unfortunate you know, that that is the nature of the business though, right? Of course teams are going to look out for their salary cap and their bottom line more so than what the player wants, but this is a guy who would be on the open market highly, highly sought after. He's one of the strongest point of attack run defenders that there are, and if you watch how they use him, he's the guy who plays up and down the line of scrimmage in a 2-3 and three point stance who you can basically 
Use however you want to take advantage of the other team's weakness along the offensive line. It's interesting to me, you know, you would love to be inside the room to really like, hear the conversations about should we commit to him long-term or not? What exactly is the concern? Is it future performance projection as far as his availability? What exactly is it? Because I don't think there's really much more that Jadebian can do as a player to prove that he is a high-impact difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. And I look at it this way, obviously bringing in a draft perspective. Everyone was probably looking at Clowney and saying, well, maybe he's going to become free. Maybe we got a shot to get him. Now you got to look to the draft to try to find someone like him. And we had a guy in Montez Sweat, the defensive end from Mississippi State, put up close to identical, if not better, numbers. Now, I'm not saying they're the same player. It's funny because they're within a half inch of each other. Sweat is about 11 pounds bigger than Clowney was coming out in the draft. But... He doesn't play as powerfully mm-hmm. as, as Clowney does now for the Houston Texans and, and really did while he was at South Carolina. Now, he's an underperformer. Sweat has not been. He Sweat has been a, a great performer for Mississippi State. And everyone looks at him and says, well, he ran that 4-4-1, the fastest 40 time in the in combine history at the defensive line position. And Clowney ran a 4-5-3. But you look at the 4-4-1, you look at him as a speed rusher off the edge, and essentially everyone says, well, he's not that powerful. Talk to offensive tackles in, in the SEC because this guy was a real problem for him. So I, I think I think Sweat has moved up into that top 10, top top 15 range and could be someone if a team's looking for that kind of player. And to your point, they they will no longer look at Devion Clowney, at least not right now, because he's been the tag has been applied. They'll have some time now to work out a long-term deal if they decide to mm-hmm. do that. If not, then he'll play one season under the tag. Uh, we'll talk about the headlines here at the Combine in just a minute, but first this from outside Indianapolis. Barring anything unexpected, Jacksonville is expected to sign free agent quarterback Nick Foles to a multi-year deal when the new league year opens next week. Again, that's March 13th. The move likely means the team will then release Blake Bortles and tap Foles to be their starting quarterback. This is not altogether unexpected, at least in terms of a fit. We've talked often about relationships, about the way things work, and and there were a lot of tea leaves that sort of led us, Dan, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It looks like that will be the case. Especially once uh, Adam Schefter reported the trade of Joe Flacco from Baltimore to Denver. If you think about a game of musical chairs, right, where the starting quarterback opportunities were going to be for a guy like Nick Foles, it really left Jacksonville as kind of the main obvious one. Sure, you know, does Washington need someone? Yes, but they're, they're cap-strapped, and they still have to pay Alex Smith whether he's playing or not. You know, would the Giants have been a place where he might have looked? Yeah, but they're still committed to Eli Manning for one more year. Miami's a team we're still not all the way sure what they're going to do. You know, if hypothetically there were a team to jump in at the last minute and scuttle this, it could be them, but I don't imagine that happening. Uh, so Jacksonville ended up being the place he could go and start, and I think that's that's what led him there and what led them to him. And, Lewis, you've made the argument that Nick Foles may not be the same quarterback outside of the Eagles, no disrespect intended, but there were pieces in place that allowed him to be successful. And you argued that those same pieces or similar pieces, I should say, would be in play in Jacksonville. Yeah, starting with the offensive coordinator. You know, it's hard to find a different way to say this other than the fact that, look, relationships matter. Fit really does matter. It doesn't matter what industry it is, but in particular football where there's so much nuance, it really does matter. He understands how John DeFilippo is going to install an offense, how he's going to teach it, how he's going to correct it, how he's going to call games in the middle of a game, what kind of plays John likes to run. John's going to understand the kind of plays that Nick likes to run. These are the kind of things that lead you down the road to success. Now, from a bigger picture perspective, 
Nick is the perfect quarterback for a run-centric, heavy play-action type of team, which is what Jacksonville is going to want to be with Leonard Fournette. And, and when you have a strong defense like they have in Jacksonville, if they can regain their form from two years ago and constantly put Nick in situations where you have short fields, uh, the defense is getting off the field quickly because, and then they're, they're giving you more cracks at it, so you're getting more swings at trying to get there and get into a rhythm. This is perfect for him. It was the only place that really made perfect sense from a fit perspective. It was the best place. And I expect them really – look, I expect the Jaguars to really be back on it this year as far as being serious contenders, all things being equal, everybody stays healthy, and everybody's pulling in the right I'm, direction. I'm interested to see this team play with a quarterback that they actually believe in. Sure. Because yeah. it's it's really been forever. We haven't seen it. Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen it. So yeah. that's going to be interesting to see. What, what's interesting, obviously, we look at the combine, which leads us to the draft. Then we talk about free agency and all of these sort of interweave. They, they affect each other. With the Jaguars likely set to sign Nick Foles, it means they will not be in the mix for a quarterback or so you would think when the draft rolls around next month, Todd. So how does this affect who may fall where, given the Jags are out of the mix at QB? Well, there were six in the top 15. Now I think there are five in the top 15. I think that, that's how you have to look at this situation because ultimately Arizona is kind of holds the card right now. Is it going to be Kyler Murray? We keep on hearing different reports. Kyler Murray's definitely the guy for Cliff Kingsbury. Then this morning, everyone's talking about, well, you know, don't, don't fall into that trap. So if Arizona doesn't take a quarterback at one, now you get down to six before you have a team that really needs a quarterback in the New York Giants. Take Jacksonville out of it. Then you have Cincinnati as kind of a long shot. And at 13, Miami. And then finally, 15, Washington. It'll be interesting to see. There are three first-round quarterbacks now, not just two. You've got Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, and, and coming out of Missouri, you got Drew Locke. So those three quarterbacks, but only now maybe five teams in the top 15 looking to draft one. But here's the interesting... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, if you're Arizona, you mentioned... <laughs> You see, you hear multiple reports. You gotta love that, right? If you're the Arizona Cardinal, you want everybody to be thinking every possible thing about you because that maximizes your potential uh, value for what you can get in trade. But I think if they do decide to go with Kyler Murray, um, you watch Josh Rosen. If Josh Rosen ends up traded to one of those teams you were talking about, that takes another team out of the mix in terms of drafting a quarterback, uh, maybe in that top 15. Look at like a Miami or a a Washington as possibilities there. I I still would maintain that the top of the draft is not going to remain static even if the Cardinals don't pick a quarterback because in order to get the guy to make sure you get the guy that you want whether it be Dwayne or Kyler Murray or even if it was Drew Locke you don't want to sit there and just let the Giants have their shot and to say well you pick who you want and we'll take whoever else somebody's going to be trying to leapfrog someone's going to be trying to get inside that top five absolutely and you know what from the people I talk to as John Gruden likes to say I have a phone too (laughs) okay I have a phone too I can make calls too there's going to be some action. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, and that's good. why Nashville's well, going to be fun. That's what everybody wants to hear, that's right? right? Nashville's already fun. It's going yeah. to get more fun. It won't be long now. These next six weeks or so will fly. And before you know it, they will hear their names called in Nashville as the defensive backs wrap up here at the NFL Combine. They're the final group to work out. You can see the coaches, though, still in attendance, uh, getting their their eyes dotted and their T's crossed as they wrap up what has been a very busy weekend. Again, the DBs putting a bow on things. We'll take a look at some big-name DBs in the NFL right now and how they ran the 40 during their combine. Patrick Peterson, a blazing 4-3-4-40. It was the second fastest time that year. Jalen Ramsey, you've heard of him, is Xavier Rhodes. A couple of corners out of Florida State were just behind, both in the 4-4 range. That gives you some perspective as we look at some notable DB times from today. And Todd is here to take us through it. We'll start with Greedy Williams, who was not able to finish the on-the-field drills, Todd, after this. 
Yeah, he needed a good workout because he struggled towards the end of the season, inconsistent and not great in run support, but he is long and he is fast, and he proved that today. 6'2", 185 pounds. He ran a 4.37 official 40 time, which obviously is outstanding. That's going to help him. He did cramp up, couldn't finish the workout, but the things that he did do, he did very well. DeAndre Baker, Todd. I think the most instinctive corner that I've evaluated so far in this process. Coming out of Georgia, he doesn't have great speed on tape, and he proved it with the 40. So it kind of it checks that box. He ran a 4.52 official time. He's 5'11", 193 pounds, just average arm length. So when you're looking at the size, arm length, and speed, which are the three things that you really look for at that position, his numbers are very average. And how about this guy? Uh, this, this came out of nowhere. Slow. Wait, let me, not let me slow. tell you something about this guy. He's an in-the-box safety at Ole Miss. I know he's not the biggest player, but he's 5'11", 205. He's athletic, and he made 98 tackles. He's got a knows for the football, but nobody expected him to run the fastest 40 time in the entire combine class. 429 official time. Good for you, Woods. You just made some money. Last but not least, as they say, he's among the last players to run the 40, but the, the, the fastest time here, 429. What do you make of this DB class as a whole, Lewis? Well, what you're seeing with the DB class is the same thing you saw with the linebacker class, same thing you're seeing with the defensive line class. There's a lot of big, long, rangy, fast guys in this draft, which is if you're a defensive person, you have to be licking your chops and you have to be sitting there going, how can I get my hands on one of these guys? And then what is my plan to develop and utilize them? A guy like Jamel Dean from Auburn, who's about 6'1", 206, and comes out here and blazes a 4-3-1. Look how big this young man is. And when you watch his tape, this is a guy who is big, Long, very aggressive at the line of scrimmage, very strong at the catch point. I saw a couple of plays where he will absolutely rock you. So when you have guys like this who are hybrid players like that, who you could switch in between, that guy right there could play somewhere anywhere from corner to what they call the money linebacker position and dime. Maybe you could play him in safety. Speed, hitting ability, athleticism are at a premium. And you've got it in this draft all over the place. Just have a plan ready to develop and utilize these guys because you've got some, you've got some material to work with out here on the field. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're going to sleep in the car now. Happy geico Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. The Pittsburgh Steelers, and there's clearly a lot there. And you can certainly understand why, when Antonio Brown met with Art Rooney, that the two sides came to the conclusion that it looks like this is time to go in different directions. Antonio was asked in in that interview also, do you think there's a way to reconcile? Because it doesn't seem like these issues are insurmountable. He dismissed that and said, no, we've got to go. Yeah. Lewis, I, I, I presume the Steelers feel the same way. They contend publicly that they'll do what's right for the team, but they really can't have this guy, I don't think, back in the locker room disgruntled again. Yeah, you know, there, many people are going to paint Antonio with a brush in a way that suits what their preconceived idea of him of him is, which is he's eccentric, he's out there, he's selfish, you know, he's kind of got a little bit of a big mouth, he's a typical diva wide receiver, all that. And you know what? He's displayed some aspects or some characteristics like that at some certain points in time throughout his career. Every single one that I just said, he's displayed some of them. But this right here between what's going on with him Ben Roethlisberger, how management allows Ben Roethlisberger to lead, the type of leadership style they enable him with or empower him with, seriously has rubbed this guy the wrong way. 
It has. And you can say that not everybody would react this way. Well, I can tell you this. As a player, as a former player who's been in a locker room, if management came out and basically reaffirmed the leadership of the quarterback and referred to it in the same way it was referred to here, my first inclination would be, wow, he has really separated one guy from the rest of us. I don't care. Do not tell me, well, no, that's not really what he meant. He was saying kids. Everybody refers to these guys as kids. You refer to them as kids on TV sometimes. Give me a break. This is what this is what this is about. It becomes a little bit personal. Now, whether you agree with Antonio and how he handled his eventual exit, that's a whole different story. I wouldn't be on Instagram doing the things he's doing. You wouldn't you maybe you wouldn't, you know, if you want to move on, you wouldn't do the same types of things. But I can understand how a guy as accomplished as him has done as much as he has done, probably got tired of feeling like just like he said. Don't tell me you're my boy one minute, and then the next minute you have the coaches going, what's wrong with A.B.? You know, I mean, it's, that's just not how it works. Now, what serves both parties here best? For Antonio to move on and the Pittsburgh Steelers to move on, which is exactly what they're going to do. But I kind of get it a little bit more now. I get it from both sides. And I'm not one of these people who's just going to sit here and just bang on Antonio Brown anymore because I don't think that's right. It's a little simplistic, I think, although it is difficult, at least for me, to get my head around what happened in that final game. I mean, that, that one's tough. And, I, you know, that's a whole That's what I'm saying. He's hard for me to justify that, but I, right. but I hear you. But, Dan, the next question then, if we can all agree we're looking forward, is where? You know, what's the market like for Antonio Brown? I think they're going to have a market. And you saw the report a couple days ago from our Adam Schefter that said the Raiders and the Titans and Washington were all were among the most interested teams. Uh, I think it goes a little bit beyond those three, personally, in terms of teams that have shown at least some interest. And you could see that change. You could see interest kind of uh, increase for other teams uh, as, the, as the days and weeks go on. The thing to watch for is uh, this March 17th deadline where they have to pay a $2.5 million roster bonus. Do the Steelers need to trade him before then and make someone else pay that? Or are they okay paying that in order to wait and get the best possible deal? If they wait into the draft, that could really help them because at that point, other teams will know. Did we get our answer at wide receiver and free agency? Are we going to be able to get it in the draft? The question is, I mean, he's obviously trying to hurry things along. And for the Steelers... You look forward, okay, assuming Antonio Brown's not going to be there, I think this quarterback class, or this wide receiver class is a lot better than people anticipated. You saw the workouts here. We had nine receivers run sub four fours and really kind of shocked us all. And this organization, just look at the last two years, well, throw in Antonio Brown, obviously, in the late rounds, but the last two years, they've gotten Juju Smith-Schuster's turned out to be one of the best receivers in the league, and then uh, James Washington, who was productive as a rookie last year, both in the second round. So they are capable of finding not a replacement for Antonio Brown, Brown, don't get me wrong, but they're capable of finding a capable wide receiver to create more depth in that unit. Replacement is such a loaded word when you're talking about a player as talented as Antonio Brown. But yeah, you're right. They'll have to find an answer because that's the way the league works. Uh, Here's an interesting perspective. Everybody's had an opinion. Lots of people have been asked about this. Here is Larry Fitzgerald's take on the situation with A.B. and Big Ben. I love AB. Mr. Big Chess is a good friend of mine, Um, but I I don't think he's going about it the right way personally. Um, You know, to be able to play with an all-time quarterback like he's able to play with, I don't think he understands how good he has it. You know, it's it could it could be it could get tough out there. It could get tough out there. And so, tongue firmly planted in cheek, I think, there with Fitzgerald, but he makes a good point. Yeah, I mean, look. 
sometimes, you know, the grass isn't always greener, especially when you're talking about wide receivers who want one thing, targets. They want targets and they want the ball put on them. They want it so they can catch and run with it. And that isn't necessarily what may happen for him depending upon where he goes. So I understand what he's saying purely from a football perspective. And look, I love love Larry Fitzgerald. He is a man's man and one of the best pros of all time regardless of position. But you know, with AB, when it becomes personal and when it becomes something that it really is a matter of respect and how you feel you're being treated and how you feel you're being looked at, it's funny how that can throw all that out the window when it becomes personal to you. It's not You're not even looking at it from a professional perspective anymore. And it seems like that's the way, it, that's what it's become with this team, with this situation. Well, it's funny that he talked about quarterbacks and the quarterback's ability to get someone <laughs> the football. We've got some quarterbacks in this draft that, of course, a lot of teams will be keeping their eye on between now and the end of April. Every quarterback wants to be the first QB off the board, including Missouri's Drew Locke, 6'3", 3 fourths of an inch, 228 pounds. 29th-ranked prospect, according to Todd, a 4'6", 40, a 31-inch vertical jump. Finished his career with the second-most passing yards in SEC history. There is also Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins. Didn't put up great numbers in the testing portion, running a position worst, 5.440 after measuring in at 6'3", and 231 pounds. Haskins, unlike Kyler Murray, did not or did participate in the on-field drills. And here is the Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray. He opted out. He did pass the biggest test when he measured in at 5'10", one-eighth of an inch. 207 pounds, his hand size nine and a half inches. Oklahoma's Pro Day scheduled for March 13th. Here are the quarterbacks. Obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a competitor. I love the game. Um, to be the number one pick would be, you know, that's a kid's dream come true. So um, if I, you know, if my name was called number one, that would, uh, I'd be ready to go for sure. It's not that important to me. For me, it's being with the right franchise, being in with the right team and uh, winning Super Bowl. So whether that's first quarterback taken, second quarter, quarterback taken, it's all a blessing regardless of where I'm going or what the pick is per se. But I mean, I, I don't really care how it ranks up as far as QB1, QB2. That doesn't matter to me. I'm prepped for the NFL. I went through a ton of adversity through the University of Missouri to where I know if I go into any locker room, regardless if it was a really good team, just won the Super Bowl, or if we won one game that year, I'm going to be able to go into a locker room, be a steady head, and be a vocal guy and be a leader in that locker room. So that makes me the number one guy. I feel like I've always had a chip, always had a chip on my shoulder, and that's going to drive me for the rest of my career. Even if I do get picked the first quarterback, the chip's still going to be there. If I get picked in the first round, the chip's still going to be there. If I get picked in the last round, the chip's still going to be there. Um, It's just something that I've made part of my game and helped drive me through everything. I think he's been coached by the New England Patriots. The chip is always going to be there, resting squarely on his shoulder. It serves him well. Uh, Let's talk about these quarterbacks, all talented, all bring different things to the table. Todd, we'll start with you and and, uh, Dwayne Haskins. Or Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, either way. Murray Murray to me, we focus so much on the speed and explosiveness as a runner. And and rightfully so. This guy is, is, I think, the most explosive quarterback to come out of the draft since Michael Vick. But I think he's underrated in terms of throwing the football within the pocket. Here you're going to see run pass option basically against a cover four defense. The safety's inverted on the backside. And so what I love about this throw, not only that he nails it, but also that he leads his receiver to the perfect spot right behind that safety number seven that you see there. That is a big-time throw from inside the pocket and a really smart read. Then inside the red zone, the touch 
and accuracy and ball placement that you have to have. This is a very hard throw, even though it's a short throw, to drop in the bucket from so close, 20 yards away, and he lands it perfectly. Heck of a catch, but I think an even better throw there. So to me, uh, Kyler Murray, I'm not saying he should be the number one overall pick. Cliff Kingsbury and that organization have to make the decision whether they want to go that route and put everything around him. But wherever he goes, they need to understand, and they will, that he is a pocket passer first and then can provide that explosive running afterwards. And again, I think people finding it a little bit of a relief that he measured in over at 5'10", so he checked that box his hand. Hand size, not a concern, relatively average or slightly above. Let's talk about Dwayne Haskins, Lewis. Yeah, I, I find it funny that people want to keep bringing up the fact that Dwayne didn't run an ideal 40 time or what didn't break five flat or wasn't down in the four sevens and four sixes. And it's never been his game. See, this is what happens when you get further away from actually playing the game and why this guy is considered one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Look at this situation in the Big Ten Championship. It's third and 20. Northwestern is going to play drop eight, meaning they're going to drop eight, rush three, play cover four, because they're figuring there's no way you're going to get a deep ball on us here or complete this third and 20. And But watch the high-level quarterbacking that is going on here. Look left. Make the single receiver side corner feel as though he's going to pump it to the left and go there. And then run a double move and put an absolute laser right on McLaren. Those are the kind of things that Dwayne showed all year long. That's high-level quarterback play from the pocket. And just let me say this. He may not be able to take off and run for 70 yards or pick up 15, 20, 25, you know, like Aaron Rodgers can or like an Alex Smith can when he's healthy. This guy will cut you up from the pocket. That's his game. And there is a a lot of desire for that kind of game in the NFL. And he has made enough plays where he's moved around in the pocket and thrown on the run to say, you give him the right weapons, right system, he's going to play quarterback at a super high level, and I cannot wait. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I can't wait to see it. You can't wait. Once again, licking his chops, Dan. Lewis is ready. (laughs) Wendy's on me today. All right. The guy we mentioned there, Drew Locke. I mean, this is a guy Todd mentioned earlier in the show could be the third first-round quarterback this year. Interesting guy. You go back a year, and I think projecting a year out, a lot of evaluators would have told you this was the number one quarterback in this year. The other two hadn't started a game. Right. So a little bit of a disappointing year because they didn't see the consistency of performance they were hoping to see from Drew Locke. Still has the tools. I mean, people talk about his arm. People talk about, you know, what he can, what he is able to show in terms of uh, his athletic ability and all that. But because he didn't show it consistently, I think that is that is leading teams to wonder a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think what you have to, and I agree that I hear that all the time. But what you have to keep in mind and just look from bigger picture, he got a, a new coordinator mm-hmm. this past year. Before it was just a spread game; he was a shortstop, giving the ball, get get it out. Then this past year, Derek Dooley comes in as, as a former wide receiver coach for five years with the Cowboys and brings pro concepts. And he told us that we sat and met with him. He said we, we flooded him with information <laughs> early on. He's like. Because I knew he could, he could take it. So we, first time he ever had to identify a Mike linebacker. First time he had to go up and change protections and set his own protections to make sure that he was covered. Move the running back over. You know, bring, bring a receiver in or a tight end. And then the first time that he ever had to really read a defense. It wasn't just one read, you do this or you do this. It was full field progressions, all three, all three phases, right, left, middle, or vice versa. So... I think early in the season he struggled, and as he stopped having to think about what he was doing and start just reacting and playing football, that's when we saw the best football from Drew Locke down the stretch. Well, we talked a lot about what was and was not done in the case of Kyler Murray at this combine, but one thing is for sure, DK Metcalf knocked us all over uh, with his performance. 
That's called enthusiasm. That's right, Lewis Riddick, and you had plenty, so we're going to try it again, okay? Yeah. Sounds good, sounds bad. Raise your game, start Nicks. with this. Here Raise we go. Game. Watch it, McShay. The Oakland Raiders can control the first round of what the I draft. Do this time? They got three first picks, 4, 24, and 27. They are committed to Derek Carr, but do say they'll look everywhere. We love Derek Carr, what he brings to the table. He can make every throw. But number two, as a general manager and a head coach, you always have to be open to improving every position on your team. So if we thought we could improve a quarterback, we would. But he's a very high threshold. So having said that, then, would you consider drafting a quarterback? Consider drafting at any position. They would consider drafting at any position. Sounds good, sounds bad. Daniel. If I'm Derek Carr... I well, think this, again, we talk bad. about this. It's perspective, right? Right, because I, I think because I think that's not a that's not a full throated commitment, and it's coming <laughs> from the general manager oh. of a team that over the past year has operated with one very clear goal in mind, which is to be ready for the move to Vegas in in twenty twenty. So, if you if Derek Carr were to have a poor season. Or if they were to decide there was a better option in this year's draft, and they're thinking, what kind of team are we trying to put together for Vegas, for 2020, uh, then I think they, they could decide uh, to move on. So if I'm Derek Carr and I'm hearing that, it's not what I was hoping to hear from my general manager about uh, about my long-term prospects with the Raiders. And again, just for perspective, Derek Carr has four years remaining on his current deal. Yeah. But we know anything. Trade him. Is, of course, yeah, sure. any, anything is possible. Uh and it has been possible in Oakland, to say the least. Well, this time last year, the big story was uh, centered around who would win the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes. He ultimately signed that huge deal to take his talents to Minnesota. Year one, eh, mixed reviews. Here's Mike Zimmer's assessment of the first year. And I think he had a good year. I think, you know, because he signed a big contract, everybody's on his rear end about this, and we didn't win enough games. And, you know, same with me, I guess. But the the big thing is, is that, Every free agent I've ever had through my 25 or 6 or however many years I've been coaching, they've always played better the second year. They have to learn where the everything is. They have to find a place to live. They don't know anybody. They don't know where their locker is, any of this stuff. And, and you throw that in with new terminology, you know, whatever. But um, I think he's going to play great. I think Mike Zimmer trying to say he'll see improvement in year two, but sounds good, sounds bad, Lewis. Well, it sounds good, you know, as far as what he's talking about, Kirk and his performance would be in year two. I will say this, though. I don't think you paid him $84 million guaranteed in order to wait a year and then say, well, once he finds out where his locker is and finds a place to live and he gets more comfortable, he'll pick it up a little bit. When you pay somebody that kind of money, what you are saying is... a place to live. Yeah, yeah, what, you, what you're saying is relative to... Uh, where this team was the year before, he was going to be the difference. He was the difference. That's what you said by not saying it. You said it by the money you paid him. I love Mike Zimmer. So this is what Mike Zimmer's old yeah, school. Yeah, I mean, so, this point of information, you know how did it sound <laughs> well, good? Well, it sounds good because he's trying to put a positive spin on it, so I understand what so he's trying to you. do. But I'm saying, for me, look, you, you know how I have felt about that transaction all along, that it wasn't going to give you the ROI that you want, return on investment. It wasn't going to give you that. And Wendy, I knew you know what I meant. Thank, thank but this you. is, this is one of these situations. Yes, thank, thank <laughs> I don't know professor, if Dan and Todd know, professor but Riddick at least Wendy know knows, because Wendy's a smart lady. So, you know what? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, the jury's out for me on Kirk because I like Kirk the guy. Kirk came up to me when we, when uh, Minnesota played Seattle on Monday night and came up to me and said, look, I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate the fact that you watch the game and you, you, know, you, make, you give your opinion based on some facts that you see on the field. 
And really, what I was, it was interesting because it struck me because I was very hard on him. Very hard on him and have been. And you need this guy to really pick it up. He well, needs to be great in 2019. He, he knows what ROI means. Yes. Better. That, that With time. that money, yeah. his, no his question. Uh, uh, guaranteed. The money's guaranteed. It's $84 million <laughs> guaranteed. So there are expectations that come sure. with that. That's just the way it works. And you know what? Kirk Cousins knows that. He understands yeah. that. Uh, Nick Bosa hopes to get there. There's no question about that. He was happy to report he's fully healthy working out here in the combine after dealing with that core muscle injury. Uh, he, he headlines what is considered an exceptionally strong pass rushing class, and he offered this when asked about being a potential number one overall pick. It's a dream come true. Um, Arizona's at number one right now. Um, coach Bill Davis from Ohio State is the linebacker coach over there who's um, obviously at Ohio State with me. So, uh, I mean, that would just mean so much to me to be thought of as the best player in the draft. All right, Todd McShay, your turn. Sounds good, sounds bad. Depends on the day. Two days ago, it would sound bad. Today, it sounds good. And it really all has to do with Kyler. If Kyler's not their pick, I think Nick Bosa becomes the selection number one. And the good news for Bosa is I would be surprised if if he if Kyler does go one or another player, like a Quinnen Williams out of Alabama, defensive tackle goes one, then Bosa is very, very likely to go number two. All four of the first four teams in this draft need edge rushers and the third team's the Jets the fourth team's the Raiders so Bosa is not going to get out of the top four and I'll be shocked if he gets out of the top two picks and it really it sounds like depends on what Arizona decides to do if they decide to go with the quarterback you know isn't it funny though I I know we're we're up against it here but isn't it funny how at the combine when all we do is glorify 40 times vertical jumps broad jumps Nick Bosa all of a sudden is coming an afterthought He's become an afterthought right. because he hasn't put up any eye-popping numbers. And I always say the further you get away from playing the games, the more your evaluation can get messed up. Nick Bosa is going to be an all-pro. He's going to be, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be an all-pro. He can play the game. And I think we need to make sure we keep circling the conversation back to that because this kid is very, very, very <laughs> good. Remember when Joey sounds ran? good. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. That yes. sounds really Nick, good. Gentlemen, your Queens, name I love it when we me. all get along. Well, well done. Well, the NFL draft on ESPN for the 40th straight year on ABC, though, for the first time ever. The ESPN broadcast, our traditional broadcast, our college game day ABC coverage, a celebration of graduating to the NFL. And it all comes to you from Nashville, April 25th through the 27th, all three days, also streaming live on the ESPN app. We are wrapping things up at the Scouting Combine here in Indianapolis. It has been a busy week. Uh, workouts began on Friday. Jason Garrett and the Cowboys have been here watching, as have the other 31 teams. Uh, defensive backs wrap things up this afternoon, literally just finishing up their workouts to round things out. How about this guy, though, Lewis, who made headlines? He is in shape, and that is an yeah. understatement. Yeah, I mean, look, the height-weight-speed combination here. It's something that scouts just drool over because scouts are inclined and attracted to upside, athletic upside. And this guy has got it all over the place when you're just talking about raw power, raw speed, the ability to make big plays down the field. It's just how is he going to functionally be as an all-around wide receiver is what some of my concern is. We're going to walk you through some of the standouts. I'm sorry, Todd. Paris Campbell. If Paris Campbell would have been the story of the wide receiver class if Metcalf wasn't there. I mean, he, he came out at almost six feet tall, 205 pounds. He runs a 4-3-1 in the 40-yard dash. That was his official result. 
He also put up some big numbers in, in the shuttles. He had a 40-inch vertical jump, and I thought he was smooth running routes and catching the football throughout the entire on-the-field drill uh, session. That kid's a good football player, no question about it. Montez Sweat, look, the quarterback hunters, that's what they're looking for. That's what people came here for when you're talking about the defensive players in this draft. And at 6'6", 260, when you have a 1'5", 5'10", do you know how fast that is? Do you know how much ground you're eating up? Do you know what that does to offensive tackles in the NFL? It makes them sweat. It makes them worry. It makes them say, can you put a tight end to my side? Can you put it back to my side and chip on this guy? Because he's going to put some fear in the people, and that's exactly what teams are looking for. Was the pun intended there? Rashawn Gary from Michigan. (laughs) Six four and a half, two hundred and seventy seven pounds. This guy once knew he was going to run fast. I didn't think he'd run in the four fives. He ran a four five eight forty yard dash. You just don't see close to two hundred and eighty pound human beings running that fast. Now, his his shuttle times kind of indicative of the lack of change of direction. His production at Michigan never met up, met with the talent that he had coming out as a number one recruit. But he is a big time talent. Quentin Williams, Alabama. See, this guy sparks a debate up. Do you want inside rush or do you want outside rush? Do you want Aaron Donald effect or do you want Von Miller effect? 6'3", 303, 483. Look at the 10-yard split. 167. That's a defensive end type of 10-yard split. When he is turned up and when he is dialed in, he will wreck your game from the inside out, and any quarterback will tell you, give me pressure off the edge before you give me pressure in my face. Quentin Williams is going to go high because he can give you all of that. This guy's interesting. Dexter Lawrence, he's been injured the last two years, especially in 2017. He is a big dude, 6'4 and a half, 342 pounds. You saw that 40-yard dash? That was the extent of his workout, but it was a 5.05, which is a remarkable time for 342 pounds. Now, he's he got a, a an injury, a left quad injury. They say it's minor, and he's planning on working out at Clemson's Pro Day, which is in about 10 days on March 14th. So we'll see if, if he does... All the power to him. I, I might just walk off with that five day before. Yeah, the just say, just uh, hands out. I'm, I'm, I'm done. My yeah. work here is done. I hesitate to even ask about the market for pass rushers, Dan, because there is always a market for premier pass rushers in this league. I'm just looking at you know team needs in the top half of the draft. I mean, I came up with ten out of the top thirteen teams picking in the, in the in the first half of the draft, which is probably part of the reason they're picking there. There you go. But you know, they're definitely it, it, it's the right year for yep. this, and it, and it's deep. And I talked to a defensive coordinator last. Last night, and it's all anybody's talking about was these workouts. And he said, you know, usually the combine is about narrowing things down. He said, I feel like after today, I've got to go watch more tape and study on more guys than I originally thought because there's that many and it's that deep a class and people are that excited about it. How, how deep is this? How strong a pass rushing class is this? We could have 11 defensive linemen go in the first round. Hmm. You know, it's, it's very rare for, for the, the market to have supply equaling demand but that's i think exactly what we have this year dan just talked about the amount of teams and this is as loaded a draft class in the defensive line as i can remember it's 20 years of doing this job wow that's saying something mm. uh, and not just the 20 years part i just i, I, know, I just adding up <laughs> right there with you my friend it has been a tremendous week and weekend here in downtown Indianapolis, Lucas Oil Stadium with 337 players, the future really, the lifeblood of the National Football League, trying to make their case and showcase their skill set for all 32 teams. But this is really just the beginning. Some upcoming dates which are notable and the first one you'll see is Tuesday which is tomorrow and that is the final day, the deadline day if you will, to apply the franchise or transition tags. They'll have until July 
July, the summer, to work out a deal. But the final day to tag players is tomorrow. Jadeveon Clowney, that decision has been made. Has been made. The team announcing today that they have indeed tagged Jadeveon Clowney. That was the expectation, Dan. And then what happens next? We'll just have to see. Yeah, we'll see if they can get a deal done uh, between now and July 15th. I'm a little skeptical on this one. One note from earlier, we talked about his tag number. It'll be a little bit higher than the regular linebacker tag number because uh, if you multiply his, or you take 20% increase over what he made last year, it gets him almost to $16 million, so as opposed to 15.4. So that gives him a little bit of a break, although not quite as much as he would have gotten if he yeah. tagged as a defensive end. And that's another story for another day. Which is exactly what he wants. Obviously, teams and players want to maximize cash for themselves. Look, this is a guy who over the past two years in particular, you can extend it to three years, has become a real problem for offenses to deal with because of the, all the multiple ways in Houston's scheme that they have used him as a defensive end, as a defensive tackle, as a guy who stands up in a two-point over the nose. He's everywhere, and he's so fast, and he's so strong, and finally he has been healthy, and he has been on the football field. And again, he's another one of those guys I got to watch up close and personal at the wild card game against the Indianapolis Colts. He is a force. Mm-hmm. And when you, if you don't, I, I would just love to, again, be inside the conversations there down in Houston about what is it that is keeping you from wanting to tie him up? Is it because you can't strike a deal? Is it because he values himself a little bit higher than what you think would fit into your salary cap? That is not the kind of guy that you want to play around with. Especially if you think he's going to stay healthy for you. He's a problem for the NFL. Well, to me, that seems to be the, uh, the, the health has to be the yeah. concern, you would think. I mean, yeah. I know his it, career started usually off a it is. slow. But usually it is. All right, let's look at some other notable names. Among them, Dan Earl Thomas. Uh, the sense I get here this week is that Earl Thomas is going to have a strong market and do pretty well. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up with a contract in the range of about $13 million a year, a la Eric Berry in Kansas City. In fact, I was told by one person that... Uh, the, the, the price might be a little bit high for the Cowboys, who have uh, long been thought to be his number one destination. He may end up somewhere else. Uh, very, very high level of interest in this player. This isn't like, I need a safety. This is like, I need Earl Thomas on the back end making plays. <laughs> I, I and that's why. I didn't think price tags could be too high for the Cowboys, but maybe they can't. Landon, yeah. Landon Collins. Landon Collins. The Giants would be nuts uh, not to franchise Landon Collins at $11.1 million, but uh, I think they might get nuts here. I, the, the, uh, the indication I've had all week is that they are seriously thinking about not applying the franchise tag to Landon Collins, which would make him a free agent, which would deliver him onto a market that I think would be extremely good for him as well, maybe even drafting behind Earl Thomas and getting a number in that kind of range. Be very, very careful. When you're evaluating safeties and you're evaluating leaders, guys who are signal callers at the command and control center who the rest of the team listens to just because they're the ones who talk to the team. When you're on the football field, coaches sometimes in particular that's, you know, can be sometimes, you know what, just like it's hard, to eva- it's hard to evaluate your own and get it right. I think this is one of these situations where you better be very careful when you let this guy out of there. There's no question Landon has some deficiencies when you're talking about man coverage in particular, but his value extends far beyond, I believe, what he does on the football field. You rip this kind of guy out of the lineup. Wow. I'm telling you, be careful, especially on a team that is very nondescript when you're talking about its style of internal leadership. You tell me where it comes from. Who sets the tone in, in New York? I'd love to know. Well, in a, in a city and a franchise that, I mean, a, a huge market, somebody should needs to be setting the terms. That's right. With every team, but even more so, I think, under the glare of that spotlight. How about Le'Veon Bell? 
Le'Veon Bell will have a more. I don't think Le'Veon Bell is going to get the $14, $15 million a year that he was looking for, but he could come in in that $12 to $13 million range, maybe something similar to the Todd Gurley deal. A couple of teams I've heard in terms of expressing interest include Houston, Baltimore, the New York Jets. Uh, so Le'Veon Bell is a guy that, uh, that will get a job, will get a nice long-term contract. I just don't think it's going to end up being a number that – financially justifies what he gave up by sitting out an entire season. Yeah, I mean, it, this, this is going to be interesting because it really will take a very, very specific situation where they feel as though his diverse skill set is worth the risk because that's what, that's what you're charged with as a general manager. Manage risk relative to what you think this guy commands on the open market in terms of fair salary. And he comes with significant risk. There's no question about it. He comes with injury risk. He comes with decision-making off-the-field risk. But his skill set is so diverse and in today's game is so coveted, some team, I I do get the feeling some team's going to pony up. Well, and you look at it too. I, th- I think the draft is working in his favor because yeah. this is this is not like the last few years where we have had a Fournette, where we've had a Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott. The, you know, Josh Jacobs from Alabama is probably the closest thing we have to that, yeah. and he's more of a later first round guy who was never even a full time starter. So this running back group has taken a dip after three very very strong years. And again, a reminder: tomorrow, the final day that teams can apply, apply the franchise or transition tag. Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins didn't put up phenomenal numbers in the testing portion of the combine. A position worst 5'4", 40 after measuring in at 6'3", 231 pounds. But his 50 passing touchdowns in, in the Big Ten certainly speak for themselves. And he spoke for himself when he joined us on our set over the weekend. With this process, this part of the process now complete, you know, a lot of people are talking about Kyler's being the potential number one overall pick and the first quarterback taken. What would you say to teams that say, hey, I, Kyler's great, but look at my body of work. What would you say to them to say, hey, I should be the first quarterback taken in the draft? Yeah, I mean, wherever I go is where I land. It would be in the best situation for me. And um, if Kyler goes first, you know, I'd be happy for him. But uh, honestly, I just want to go to a situation where they're going to use me in the best situation, in the best scheme, and uh, just be able to win Super Bowls, win a lot of games. So me, I feel like I'm a franchise quarterback. I'm going to play for 12, 15 years, win a lot of Super Bowls, and, you know, make a lot of plays. So, you know, I'm just really excited about the future. And, of course, New Jersey, the Giants, six overall pick. I'm sure that wouldn't upset you too much. Yeah, I worked with uh, Mike Shula on the field and met with him yesterday, so uh, it's going in the right direction. What work between you and Ryan Day? What kind of coaching do you like? I mean, what kind of what kind of system do you like? What do you think would bring the best out of Dwayne Haskins and, and just take your career and shoot it off to the start? Yeah, so being at Ohio State, I had a lot of different coaches. I had Coach Meyer, who was more, you know, hard and uh, definitely was more in your face. And then I had Coach Day, who was held you accountable as far as being able to make the right decisions. And then, you know, being with Coach Mick in the weight room, you know, either you're grinding or you're getting out. So, uh, honestly, I felt like Ohio State prepared me for all type of different coaching. So, um, as far as the NFL, I just want to be in a scheme where I got West Coast play action passes, you know, timing intermediate throws. Um, definitely like the second layer throws, layering over linebackers and corners. And I feel like I get a couple deep shots down the field. Nice right there. Well, to your point, Lewis, I think he's got a bright future. And you spend some time here in India around these players and around these, these college players. And, the, and, and you know what? The future of the NFL looks pretty bright. Not, not a bad place to be.